I know finance can be intimidated. It's like when I get up in our workshops and it's about two thirds through the presentation, man, as I've kind of been laying on talking about valuations, talking about how this all works. And then I pull up the case study and people will obviously like, oh my God, Ryan, spreadsheets and numbers. Come on, man. And I'm like, I was a copier sales rep and I got a D in accounting. So if I can do this, everybody can. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I am joined by Ryan Tansom, who is the founder at Arcona LLC and calling from, where are you calling from today, Ryan? Minnesota, man. Freaking awesome. I love it. What's, <laughs> right? what's, hap- what's happening? How's the day going? Uh, it's above freezing, man. So Anthony is melting and I heard the birds. It's March. So like, I don't know. Life must be good. Well, we had snow, though. Snow is finally meant melting where I am in Vancouver, but it dumped for a little while. So, yes, it's they say it's spring. But, Ryan, I'm super excited to chat because one of the things we talked about before was, you know, like as, at SME Strategy, we always talk about alignment. And what I thought was really cool about the things that you work on, talking to Vistage groups and, and what have you is, you know, adding value, making sure everybody on the team has the same perspective and understanding of what the goal is. And that's growing the value of the business and how impactful it can be on an organization's effectiveness. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and then you know what keeps you busy and we'll go from there. For sure, Anthony. I appreciate it, man. So what my company, Arcona, we got three revenue sources. We got training and some financial services. But I think that how I got here is probably the, the more interesting part is Grew up in an entrepreneurial household, Anthony. My dad started our business back in the early 90s, mortgaged our house, bought a couple hundred grand worth of, worth of used Panasonic copiers and never looked back. And so uh, he scaled up. We hit 21 million in revenue, 115 employees, worked in all the business my whole life. By the time I joined in 09, it, the financial crisis hit us. My dad had been distanced from the company and uh, we lost 940,000 bucks that year. So I spent almost six years turning the business around. We sold a couple of branches for cash. Turned around like 60% of the employees, built out the managed IT service and the document management software side, rebranded, was uh, rocking and rolling for the lack of a better term, having a lot of fun. My dad and I couldn't get alignment, aka the part of this podcast, Could you know felt stuck, had the Groundhog Day conversation of what do we do with this thing and where do we go every other week and couldn't figure that out. So we sold it in 2014. For eight figures, paid a lot of taxes and debt, had to fire 60 out of my 90 employees roughly really, really hard day, dude. And so that was in 2014, July 1st. And so since that day, Anthony, I spent every waking minute of my life figuring out what happened and how do I help other people take more control over their outcome, whatever the heck they want. So uh, led to me starting the podcast, kind of intellectual sandbox and kind of took what I was learning, took all of the, you know, the workshops I was doing and synthesizing it to create our company, man. I just want to help people view and run the company like a financial asset and feel blessed that I get to do this every day. 
That's awesome. I love that. I love the origin story. And uh, it's just a lot of learnings there. So, I mean, it, it, as our listeners are, a lot of them are board owners, a lot of them boards, a lot of them, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, what are some of those lessons that you've been kind of pining over over the past eight years that that you'd like to share with them? And, and you know, whether it's actionable things or, or a mindset, um, you know, the floor is yours. What do you want people to know? I like how you framed up a couple different ways of takeaways. I'd say the first, the, the couple of big things, mainly Anthony, were were mindset, and 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 it's this whole thing. It's really fascinating to me, Anthony, is like because I grew up as a kid, and I, like I was a kid in school. Why, 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 why are we doing? I got six year old twins, man. So like I'm thinking it, and uh, and I just over the course of most of my life, I realized that like not a lot of sufficient sufficient answers were given back to me of like why are we doing this? So like. In business nowadays, I get up in front of these pre- workshops, presentations, keynotes, Anthony. I'm like, first of all, I got two main questions. Like, do you know? The first one is, do you know if what you're doing is worth it? It's different for everybody. So the listeners listen in, all the headaches, all the challenges, all the things that come with being a leader and all the responsibility that we have, is it worth it? And that could be different for everybody. And I think there's so many people that I come across something they don't know how to answer that question. So they, I'm like, do you know if it's worth it? And they don't know how to put up their hands because they're not sure. So it's either A, they haven't thought about it. Like, what does that actually mean to me? And B, maybe it's not, which is a whole nother set of challenges. And then the second question, as I'm getting to your point, is then what's your goal? So for leaders and owners, like, what's your goal? And I, th- I say, throw out your goals. And I usually get like this, Anthony. 50 million, 100 million, 75 to 50 or 75 to 100. I mean, you're like, you know, whatever the next milestone is on the revenue side that they usually kind of peg themselves to. And then I immediately follow up with, well, we owned a $21 million business that lost $940,000. If we would have sold the bank, or if we would have sold the business, we would have owed the bank money. So I, I don't really think that's the best ultimate goal. And people kind of just look at me like confused often. And because it's like, well, what is the goal then? And hence the other problem is where are we going? And so I would challenge that after the last almost 10 years is coming up with a target equity valuation that someone wants at a point in time, regardless of whether they want to sell, but you're then synthesizing and syncing up all of the things that you're doing with your time, energy, and capital every day with the decisions that you're deploying time, energy, and capital is aligned towards the equity growth. And that then aligns ownership and leadership and then all of the different divisions and people and even someone down to the shop floor or the customer service. We have to know where we're going. And that's one of our, I think, fundamental responsibilities as leaders is that really clarify that outcome and then put the plan in place. And like with you you and your organization, your podcast is then deploy the communication to everybody else through a system. Yeah, I find that very interesting because so we work with, entrepreneurs, we work with nonprofits, we work with private businesses, obviously I have my own business. And then we work with people that are supported through private equity. And the people that have that most clear answer are the private equity folks, because their goal is to add enterprise value and then sell again, they make their money on the exit. For me, I've got my number over here and I say, okay, I need recurring revenue to X degree to be able to drive that. And then that's always in the back of my mind. But when it comes to other businesses, the conversation that I find the balance 
between the owner who looks at the profit and the EBITDA, and then the business who sometimes only looks at the profit, those are very different approaches. If you go from 20 million at 50% profit and 30 million at 4% profit, those are very, very different businesses. And I think understanding the the why and to your point, what levers to pull are, are critical uh, critical to think about. So thoughts on that? Well, and, there, and there's well, and there's trade-offs, man. It, yeah, a lot of thoughts on it is, so let's talk about the order because I, I know with your organization, as I was looking at your pyramid of like how you come up with the, like the direction of the company and how it all trickles down. And it really starts with the ownership. So first of all, like when I get people, I get people that call me every single week, Anthony, and it's, I want out. And I'm like, out of what? Your job or your asset? And people usually go, huh? So that if whether the people that listen in, whether you're just a leader and you don't have any equity or you have a small percentage, these conversations with the ownership group is so crucial because here's the here's the here's the issue. And when I was running the business with my dad, he was the one, he was the main equity holder, right? And I'm the one running the business. And so if he's sucking all the cash out of the business, but I still have to go from 20 million to 30 million, how the heck am I gonna fund that? Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't know, or he or she or whoever the ownership group is, private equity, ESAPs, nonprofit, sole proprietor, or partnership. What is everybody's expectation for distributions and the equity target at a point in time? Because if you don't have that, how much money, Anthony, do we have this year to spend? I don't know. What's the goal? I don't know. I mean, it just is so fundamental. Like we have to come up with that bullseye because then once ownership says we need this much in cash flow and distribution and here's our equity goal, we got to pay our taxes. What is in the working capital we need to fund that growth plan? And do we have enough cash? It's just, there's just only like so many constraints that are right in the cash flow statement underneath the cash flow provided by operating activities. And if it's a zero, we run out of cash in the future, we have to tap our line of credit, come up with a bank loan, or we have to get another investor or put more money back in. So if ownership doesn't know what they want, how the heck is leadership supposed to know what they are going to do and how they're going to fund the projects that everybody just made up? Yeah, it's interesting. Just as you describe that last little piece, is the obviously like financial acumen is key, and and not all senior leaders, especially ones who are technically good at their jobs that get promoted, you know, have mm-hmm. that holistic understanding. And and have you in the groups that you've worked with, or you know, in the people that you're educating, you know, have you found that same challenge that there's a need to have financial literacy and financial understanding, but walking into those conversations, people are kind of starting from, from nothing. <laughs> Just one word answer. Yes, you're okay. correct. <laughs> well, I'll give some, I'll give you some follow-up on that. Anthony is, is yeah, it is. And it's, it's so fascinating now to Anthony. It's actually one of my favorite parts of my job. First of all, as for the listeners listening in, First of all, double entry accounting was invented in the 1400s by the monks. You didn't invent that. Second is that the spreadsheet that I teach Stefan, Bill, uh, Bill Gates, and Paul Allen either stole it or built, you know, created it back in the 80s. So, like, it's all out there, man. Like, none of this stuff is invented. And I know finance can be intimidated. So, like, when I get up in our workshops and it's about two thirds through the presentation, man, as I've kind of been laying on talking about valuations, talking about how this all works. And then I pull up the case study and people will obviously like, oh my God, Ryan, spreadsheets and numbers. Come on, man. And I'm like, I was a copier sales rep and I got a D in accounting. So if I can do this, everybody can. I'm not a CPA, I'm not a CFA, I'm not any of those other things. <laughs> like, yes, I've been at this for a long time, but I think 
back to my uh, earlier comment about my childhood of like, I always want to know why. Why is everybody fighting? Well, because everybody's bonus is based on net income and not normalized EBITDA. That's probably why. <laughs> and so like, it, and that, that's just an example. That's not all the problems. But my point is, is that when you pull the thread, it always ends up on the financials is why most people are having conflict, intention, and misaligned. Hmm. There's the goal and everything that you help people get clear on where are we going. And then you line that up with the financials to say, can we afford the, the plan that Anthony and the team has got us all set out to? So I think it's the, the, the numbers are just so clarifying. And the financial literacy, Anthony, is the financial illiteracy is crazy. And I was part of it. I was absolutely guilty. And so there's no shame in my comment for anybody. It's like, unless you were a CPA, which by the way, putting debits and credits and moving numbers into boxes for a tax return is different than managing inventory in October when you're trying to balance payroll, inventory, taxes, and distributions. That's more of like a CFO strategic finance role than how much do you owe when this is all done? And we looked in the rear mirror. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs and definitely the leaders that I work with they know where their conflict and pinch points are, but a lot of people don't know what is the why is that a result? Like, where is that coming from? And so we can, I can be happy to, to kind of walk through on like net income versus normalized EBITDA, how comp plans can help shake that out. But any thoughts? I mean, I, I don't know if you see the same thing. Hey, Anthony here. One of the things I don't talk too much about on the podcast is what we do at SME Strategy. So I wanted to let you know that if you and your team are thinking about getting together you know, this winter or even in the new year for strategic planning, that we'd be happy to have a conversation to see how we might be able to help your team walk through the strategic planning process and make sure that your people, your strategy, your culture are on the same page. One of the most exciting parts about the work that we do is being able to lead people through a proven process to help them get to where they want to go. If you're interested about that process, our video about it on YouTube just hit over a million views. So be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think. Uh, but most importantly, I wanted to let you know that if you are looking for somebody to partner with your team to support everybody in getting aligned, moving forward towards a clear set of goals and objectives, and really making sure that you have the foundations for that next stage of growth, that we can partner with you to do that whether that's through an offsite strategic planning session or you know follow-up support services to keep you accountable, to help your team grow and develop, or really to lead a full transformation. So if you're interested, check out smestrategy.net. You can check out our about page, our services page. It'll tell you more about how we do things. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with you to see if we're a good fit to help. Thanks so much. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. And now let's get back into the episode. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I'd love to hear the, the the difference for our listeners and hell for me. But I think one of the things that's just interesting is understanding if we take it to the core, but slightly higher than just the bottom line is understanding like the drivers of the business, like the business process. Like I was talking to a group the other day and they're like, for every customer that we brought on, we would lose money. Therefore, the like if someone was doing their job and really good at selling, it would be bringing the company faster to decline. And so just yeah. well, now let me let me let me rally on that, Anthony. So so let's say it wasn't that dire. Let's say someone had a good product or service and their receivables. Actually, this is a very real example of a client. They sell medical, durable medical device equipment. Their main so they have customers, but their revenue comes from insurance companies. 
because it's reimbursements. The big insurance companies pay it with net 120 days. Mm. The faster they sell, the less cash they have because their receivables are 120 days. Just that simple. You just look and look. It, my dad and I had the same problem, man, because we we buy a million dollars worth of equipment from Canon, take it in, prep it, sell it, issue a PO, then get the money. I mean, we're 120 days without our cash. Yeah. So the more we sold, the worse it got. Right. <laughs> so like, if you don't know those numbers, so even if you're selling a profitable product or service, that cash conversion cycle is essentially what I'm referring to is going to blow your business model up if you're not prepared for that. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's just, it, it's, and there's, there are, be, there are business models out there. Anthony, I, sorry, I could go on a tangent, but people, I always like go like, well, how is it possible that you own a $50 million company and you don't know this stuff? I've now come up with my own thesis. So you could, this could be complete BS, but it seems to make sense to me is market demand. So here are the three variables that equal why someone doesn't need to pay attention to this stuff. Market demand is there. Second plus, so the plus the second variable, which is entrepreneurial and leadership hustle and grit. So market demand plus hustle and grit, plus a really good business model where you use other people's money. E-commerce, customer deposits, insurance, you know, assets under management, wealth management firms, whatever it is, where if you're using other people's cash, you don't ever have to look at the cash flow statement. You just look at your income statement. So it doesn't matter. So that's how people can get away with not caring about this stuff. But even in that situation, I've taken people on as clients and they're like, oh my God, I got 3 million bucks in the bank account. Well, when we actually build their numbers in a way that makes sense, they had negative equity because they had been pulling more cash out. I'm like, you still owe someone goods and services. It's not your cash. Wait, how did that, how to explain that one to me? How could they have a bunch of cash in the bank? Just, I mean. So let's say you, let's say we're working with an e-commerce company that sells sunglasses, just making something up. They have an Amazon FBA account or Shopify account, running ads, click buy, click buy, click buy, and they're getting cash every single day. Well, then they get to like ship it. So you use it, they're, they're getting cash before they have to deliver the goods and services. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the way, the way that most middle market business owners and privately held businesses that I work with or see, they manage their business. Like they look at the income statement, they build out a forecast once a year. They look at it once a year, maybe do an update once a month. But then what they do is, uh, where was I going with that? The income statement, uh, how did I start that off? Sorry, totally, like totally. Uh, um, cash coming in before the product goes out. So, so what happened was they, so they had 3 million bucks in their checking account. What most people do, that's where I was going. What most people do is revenue, gross profit, what's in my bank account. That's how most people manage their business. Right. Revenue, gross profit, what's in my bank account. I look at my numbers when the month is done, probably two months later, but they're not using it for decision-making, Anthony. So when you're doing that, you look at your checking account like, damn. Three million bucks. That's pretty good. <laughs> Should we take some money out for a bonus for the owners? Sure, let's take 50K out. Well, you keep doing that and you don't realize where that $3 million is owed for sunglasses and shipping right. and all that stuff. It's not your cash. It's actually a liability. And so when people just muddy all that stuff up in their PayPal account or their checking account, you can truly have negative equity where you sell the business and you still owe people sunglasses. I get it. So, and somehow Zoom auto detected your hand going up, which I think is pretty funny. So put that down. Uh, <laughs> basically, they're not doing the financial management far enough down the line. And I think that that's what's so, I mean, especially entrepreneurs that haven't kind of professionalized their businesses. You might have an accountant 
You might have a bookkeeper, but if you don't have somebody with strategic financial acumen to be able to do those things properly, to at least help you understand, not, it's not even a rainy day. It's just the end of the business from like soup to nuts, the end of it. If you're missing that, then you can be building challenges for yourself. So but uh, I'd love to switch gears a little bit because we talk about the call it risks, downside of lack of financial management. Let's talk about the upside of what teams need to consider or what they need to put in place so that they are, in fact, creating maximum value in their businesses and building more equity uh, as they look to exit or not even just so, in general. Yeah, just in general, just building an asset. Like if you build a valuable asset, you have choices to sell it whenever you want, however you want at the, you know, hopefully at the most tax efficient way possible. The most the highest probability of getting what you want with the valuation that you want or the the ownership and leadership group is to create sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow. So if I asked you, Anthony, I wanted to buy your company, I'd say, all right, tell me where you've been. Show me the normalized trailing 12 months of EBITDA and tell me a story. And then where are you going? Mm. And then you would tell your story. And then I'd say, okay, that's a great story, Anthony. Prove it. Hmm. And your ability to prove your sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow using the numbers and using your business as a storyboard is crucial. Because if I don't believe you, I'm not going to pay it, right. or I'm going to de-risk it. So, like, that's a, a very easy way of saying, like, the lens that every leader should be thinking about about how to deploy their time, capital, and energy is in projects that create more sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow. I mean, there are definitely strategies, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna disc discredit it. But the hey, we're gonna raise a bunch of money, burn through cash, and hand that bag to someone else that can monetize it, so they can create sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow. I mean, the last five years, build up a tech company, sell it to someone else that can monetize it. That's essentially what the whole VC deal is. Not, now I'm not saying that that's not appropriate. What I'm saying is that. That's a part of the marketplace. Generally, the S&P 500 should, and all the, the public companies or any privately private equity-backed company or ESOP, whoever, whoever, should care about cash flow and equity growth. If you want to guarantee the valuation that you want, create the cash flow, sustainable, predictable, and transferable nature of that cash flow based on the intrinsic fundamentals of the company. Yeah. It's so novel, right? <laughs> I love how yeah, I can tell, man, that you're on the same page as me. Like, wait a second, Peloton that doesn't make bikes anymore might sell their content business. Like, what do they do? And they burn a billion to a quarter. I don't know. When are we going to get our money back if we invest in that? It's high. It's, don't worry about it, Ryan. It's high growth. It's hyper growth. And, you know, <laughs> well, okay. So I'll take, like, not the counterpoint, but saying, yes, in certain instances that's a great model because you're selling a future dream to somebody that they will then be able to do something strategic if we look at someone who did somewhat the opposite but not actually is elon musk who bought twitter at 42 billion dollars and said hey i actually think that i can take the assets that have been built up and monetize this but within his system. So he wasn't probably taking Twitter for Twitter on its own, but rather what Twitter could develop for, you know, Musk enterprises as a whole. And so that's a very select 
group of people and they're playing a, a different game than I would argue most kind of brick and mortar manufacturing service businesses that if everybody understood the real drivers of what it meant to make money, which most of them do because they didn't have somebody pumping a couple billion bucks for a wish, you're building sustainable long-term wealth. The challenge that I've seen, especially in the past three years, and maybe in the past couple of months is that the marketplace has changed and those AP cycles are getting longer. The AR cycles are getting longer and it's starting to pinch people. And that's really what happens when you can't sell fast enough or close soon enough or convert fast enough. Have you seen the same thing? And I, yes, I am seeing that. And I would say that the people that have their SHITs up together, like you can navigate that. You've got the tools. Like, all of our clients, like, dude, you're either using your money or other people's money. You know what I mean? Like AR and AP is your money is somewhere else. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like well, payables is actually, you, you've got, you're using someone else's money. But like the whole point is if you focus on that, which is your working capital, the gas of your engine, you can't run out. Yeah. Right. Like, and as long as people can see into the future based on what products and services are trending up, trending down, how you're going to handle that, how you're going to adjust. This is why leadership and ownership has to be on the same page. Cause like, what are the expectations for financial distributions, for growth, for funding, all of that. And then how does that trickle down? So yeah, it is, it's a great time for good companies and it's going to be a really hard time for mediocre companies. Yeah, I get that. Okay. So as we finish up, what can a company that might be mediocre in its financial muscle do to develop their greatness for sustainability? So that's the question. And then tell folks where they can connect with you, learn more about you if they want to learn more about all the stuff that you do. I would say that what is in everybody's control that's listening into this, whether you're the finance seat or whether you're, you're, your partner or you know your team member is the finance seat, it is absolutely physically possible to tie your three financial statements together and tie them to a future normalized EBITDA that you want at a point in time, that will give you like it'll, a three-dimensional view into the future. And the best way to actually see what that looks like is on our website, arcona.io. We have a bunch of videos, Anthony, that people can watch for free. And there's a financial checklist down there of like, hey, it, it, like, I love, like I said at the beginning, we didn't invent any of this. So you can literally watch those videos and go do it yourself. It's like, trust me, this is how you get the information. So I'd say, don't be intimidated with the numbers and find the people that are sitting next to you that are willing to collaborate to learn this stuff without a lot of egos because the output is worth it. Sweet. I love that. Uh, Ryan, just thank you so much. I think it's just so cool that even if it is scary and intimidating, it's the stuff that builds that sustainability and the I use the sustainability because like you said, you're like, hey, what? Should I have done differently is what you inferred in in before 2024. And, and what you're sharing is exactly that stuff. You want to bring longevity, sustainability, and greater success to families and individuals so they don't have to hurt. It's putting those things in place. And I just really appreciate you not only sharing it, sharing your story, being so uh, transparent about what you've seen and, and, and doing what you do to help people. I think it's uh, pretty freaking awesome. And I appreciate your time today. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it, Anthony. I appreciate the, the compliments. Absolutely. Folks, my guest today, Ryan Tansom from Arcona. Check them out. Everybody could do better with their financials. And what we didn't talk too much about is the ability to 
empower everybody on your team to understand what levers to pull in the right way. But you can't do that if you don't understand it first. So if you're whether you're there or not, learn more, empower your people with it, build great businesses, make a bunch of money, have a great life. So uh, this has been the Amen to that, man. There we go. What, what else do you need? I get that on a tattoo somewhere. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Folks, this has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Ryan. Subscribe, like, share, do all the things to make you a great person. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time. 